0: please visit RedemptionOKC.com. All right, it's good to be here. Kickoff Sunday. Any of you get a donut? Anyone admit they got two? Teenagers, where are you? Actually, most teenagers these days are way too healthy. It's kind of crazy. Uh, You know, uh, we were in staff meeting this week, Audra asked me, she said, you know, uh, I'm going to go and get the balloons. Do you have any preferences? And I said, no, I trust you. And I show up today with nothing but Georgia colored colored balloons out there, because Audra is definitely a Georgia bulldog. She's a little obnoxious about it right now for some strange reason. But I figure, you know, I ought to give her a day, because, you know, probably another 40 years before she gets to do that again. So... Um, At least if history is any indicator. So uh, now it's fun to get here and celebrate. I didn't wear a jersey, I told Chris because I I don't want to be provocative and kind of make it hard for y'all to listen to something that's more important. So, and besides that, all my teams are losing right now. So I don't know what to do. Uh, But we're going to be in Philippians. We're starting a new series through the book of Philippians. So if you got your Bibles, you might turn there. Uh, We're walking through this little letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in a town called Philippi. And Philippi is located in modern day Greece, so it seems appropriate to start the series off talking about the Olympics, uh, which were founded in Greece. Uh, and how many of you watched the opening ceremony? I missed it this year. A uh, lo- lot of years we try to tape it. We go back and try to watch it, skip through the parts we don't like. Uh, but I laughed because I saw a tweet uh, that came out from the official Olympics Twitter site. And this is what it said. Um, you know it's an opening ceremony when you hear imagine. Um, which has become the anthem for the Olympics, right? And so John Lennon's famous song, Imagine, comes on. Every single year, it's become uh, almost a parody of itself. I mean, when the Twitter site, when their own Twitter site's sort of making fun of it, like, oh, they're going to play Imagine again, Uh, it's kind of, it's about like a beauty pageant. You know, when you go to a beauty pageant, you ask anyone, like, what change do you want to see in the world, everyone says... World peace, and when you go to the Olympics and you get all these countries together, you have to sing "Imagine" because if we close our eyes and think good thoughts, everything's going to be better. Never mind that half—you know—half the countries there are about to go to war. That there's host countries that are committing horrible human atrocities uh, and human rights violations. That athletes are doping up, and all kinds of stuff are going on. But if we close our eyes and sing "Kumbaya" and think good thoughts, then everything is going to magically just get better, right? I'm, Sarcasm, sorry. But you know the you know the words to the song and it really has become the anthem of our day. You know, imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. If we all just lived in the moment and didn't think about anything eternal, things would all get better. Oh, imagine there's no countries that isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer. I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. The world will be as one. So every four years, we roll this song back out. And not much has changed in the world, but we sing the song again. And I'm not a hater. Like, it's not a bad song. It's not awful. It's got a, it's got a great tune. It's great. Like, it's emotionally stirring. It's just that the, the things that point you to just aren't that strong. Like where it directs us to find an answer to the world isn't going to really provide the answer that we need. And so um, the Apostle Paul, as we get to Philippians, is going to have a very different approach to finding a place of joy and human flourishing in the world. And he isn't going to imagine a world without a church. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul loves the church. He, he he's passionate about the church. He's committed to the church. That's why he says in Philippians, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. When I think about the church, I thank God for everything that the church has been in my life, Paul says. And so he's hungry to see the church flourish. And he loved the church and all the church that the all the good that the church did in people's lives and all the, the good that the church did within human society. Paul loved the church. He didn't want to imagine a world without it. He wanted to imagine a world without but the church flourished as God intended it to flourish and thrived as God intended it to thrive. So friends, if we're going to pursue deep joy, one of the major themes of Philippians is this idea of joy and what joy is. And so we're going to lean into that over the next few months. And if we're going to, what we're going to find is that if we're going to find deep joy that persists in all the up and downs of life, we're going to need something stronger than simply good thoughts. And we're going to need something stronger than than imagination. We need the people of God enlivened by the grace of God to serve in the strength of God for the glory of God. And that's going to lead us to a much better place. So as we get to Philippians, Philippians opens with these words, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. With the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul actually takes a standard kind of letter opening or greeting. Like, you know, if he would have gone to his computer and gone to pages and said, I need a form letter, and it would have downloaded the greeting for a form letter, this way it would have looked very much like this, because in that day, this is what the letters did. But Paul's going to do something a little different. He's going to actually take that form, and he's going to infuse it with some theology and some doctrine and give it a little bit more meaning than just a standard, uh, a standard uh, opening. But Paul's joy is in the church. This church, you notice he says to all the saints who are at Philippi, he's saying to the church at Philippi, to the people of God who are in this town called Philippi, um, this church was likely his favorite church. Uh, most people think if you read through his different letters and the, uh, the letters that he writes to different churches, the church at Corinth and others, uh, one, a lot of these churches are a mess. And this one seems like it's reasonably sane. And so there's probably one of the reasons as a pastor, he's like, whoo like these people haven't gone off the rails yet. so This is a good church, but this probably or may have been his favorite church. So I want us to talk about Philippi a little bit. I want us to step back and think through and maybe flip over to the History Channel for a few minutes. And so we're going to go to the book of Acts, and we're going to step out of Philippians for just this week. And we are go to the book of Acts. Acts 16 actually tells the history of how the church at Philippi started. And so if you think about Um, your Bible, and you may not realize this, but a lot of the, uh, you you have the four gospels at the first of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after those gospels, you begin to get, uh, you get the book of Acts. And and the book of Acts is really the story of the early church, of the history of the early church. And so it begins to tell you about what happens after Jesus dies and is resurrected and the disciples are scattered and they start, start these little pockets of people in all these cities around the world called churches. That begin to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus and that King Jesus has risen and he's brought salvation to all. And so they go and spread throughout the world and share that good news. Acts tells that story. And then the books that come after Acts, you get, uh, you know, these books like Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, um, and Galatians and others. These are, these are letters that Paul wrote to these churches that were meant to be circulated, read aloud in the churches within within that whole region to help guide the church and direct the church as they walk through issues. But those letters that you look at that Paul wrote to the churches, like Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those historically actually take place during the book of Acts. So the book of Acts tells the story of what happened and then these letters are written historically during the same time period that you see unfolding in Acts. And so in Acts 16, what we get is the beginning of the church in Philippi. So how the church started. And I want us to read through that. So verse uh, verse 9, chapter 16. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, and had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to My- to Mysia." Uh, They attempted to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of God did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Traos, Traos, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that that God had called us, uh, or we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, uh, we made the voyage to Samothrace and then followed to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. So, here you get just a little bit of, of history as to how the church came to be started in Philippi. In, in Philippi. And really, what you see in the, this section is kind of an interesting thing that Paul wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said, no which seems strange, right? He's like, I'm going to go share the gospel. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, not not over there. He's like, well, maybe we'll go over this other place. The Holy Spirit said no. And then he has a vision and he says, oh, God wants us to go over here. And so God's redeploying them and sending them out and uh, casting them or sending them into this place called Macedonia. You notice... Um, that it says we sought to go to Macedonia. Who's the we? Who are the they that's, that's talking about? Because it's talking not just Paul, it's talking about someone's plural. So Acts 1.1, what we see is that this book was written by, uh, that the book of Acts was written by Luke. It's actually uh, Luke and Acts, the Gospel of Luke and Acts are actually one book that's meant to just go straight through. It's kind of chapter one, chapter two, written by the same dude. And so uh, Luke is there, um, as he says, we felt like the Lord was leading us to this place. Uh, you also see at Acts 15 that Paul and Barnabas kind of had it out a little bit over a guy named John Mark and they decided to go separate ways and so Paul chose Silas to go with him and so Silas is with, uh, is with Paul on this journey. So you have Luke, you have Silas, you have Paul. You also in uh, Acts 16, in the first couple verses, you have a guy named Timothy. And Timothy's sort of a young pastor in training. He's a resident learning how to be a pastor underneath Paul's guidance. And Timothy's an interesting dude because he had a, um, he had kind of a divided household. His father was a Greek who had rejected Christianity. His mother was a Jewish woman who had been a believer in God. And so he had this house that was sort of diverse, and um, Timothy's coming. And so those are the four that all are taking a mission trip to a place called Philippi. And you know that their house was, their hearts were beating really fast at this time. Have you ever gone to a place that you knew had never heard the gospel? That they've, they'd never heard the truth about Jesus. They didn't know that Christ had, had, had died on a cross for their sins and risen again. And they were breaking new territory. And Paul's heart beat to take the gospel further west to places where they had never heard the gospel. And in fact, what we're going to see is that Philippi becomes the first church in Europe that started Uh, the first Christian church in Europe that started there. And so this is a new beginning for Paul, a whole new mission field. And his heart burned to take the gospel to peoples that didn't know about the grace of King Jesus. And so here in in the heart of this unique city, it's an interesting place because you've got the, the ancient culture of the Greek culture combined with the kind of modern, uh, the modern Roman culture. So you get the two greatest cultures the world had ever seen are combined here in this area of Macedonia. And so Paul is going to go and preach the gospel there. And if the gospel is powerful enough to sway the greatest cultures in the world to follow it, it's going to prove the the power of the gospel. And so as you think about this, what do we know about the city of Philippi? Um, Well, first, it's hard to spell, uh, we almost all of us want to put two L's and one P, and it's the opposite. It's one L and two Ps. I have a friend who, whose sister or her sister-in-law actually got a tattoo of Philippians four thirteen on her ankle, and she went and got it. And she came and she went and showed off the tattoo, and he's like, "It's not spelled right." Um, so I'm just telling you, if you're going to get a tattoo, like if that's your next thing you're going to go for, uh, take your Bible and make sure the guy or gal doing the tattoo and putting the ink in there knows how to spell this word because it's a tricky word to spell. Uh, and so that's that's not all we know uh, about this city, though. About 100 years before Paul came to Philippi, a Roman civil war had been fought. And there in the civil war, once the war had been resolved, um, kind of after Julius Caesar, uh, there was a surplus of Roman soldiers and Antony and the future emperor Augustus left a large group of Roman soldiers. They're like, we don't need all you soldiers to come back to to come back to Rome because there's going to be a lot of conflict and not enough work for you. So we're just going to leave you here and give you jobs here. And so they kind of took over. And they became very influential. And Philippi became a central city. Now, these Roman soldiers and the others that were there kind of made the predominant language become Latin. And so the common language that was spoken was now Latin. But there's this kind of cross-cultural, multicultural world that's taking place in the city of Philippi, where you've got the ancient heritage of the Greeks, with this kind of modern empire of the Romans, and it's all coming together in the middle of the city. you got this clash of cultures, this clash of different religions and different backgrounds. Uh, Philippi was also a key city positioned on a road called the Ignatian Way. And so as you went from, see if I can do this on a map. Come backwards, inverted, so you all can see it. But if you go from kind of Middle East and Asia this way up to Greece up here, and you go across the water over to Greece, and then you go over to Italy over here, there's a small part of the Adriatic Sea that's a short jump from Macedonia or Greece over to Italy. And so Philippi was on a road that went across that area to a western port that was the shortest, quickest route to get to Rome. And so as a key city in the Roman Empire, this was a major thoroughfare. It's like I-40 going east-west across connecting major parts of the city. So let's read about... Um, the, the beginning of, the, of this city, Paul uh, or Luke calls it a leading city, and part of what he's saying is this was a strategic location for us to start a new church. If you're going to start a new church on the way to on the way from uh, from from Israel, and if you're going to start a new church from Jerusalem on the way towards Rome and towards the west, and this is so, it's a central strategic location in order uh, to plant a church. So you get down on. Uh, in verse thirteen, and it says, "And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, women who had come together. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul." And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Uh, so here you get this woman um, who um, comes. And what I want you to see as we look at this passage is the difference a single person can make in the life of a church and in the mission of God. Uh, I want us to to look at this because <clears throat> it's going to be interesting to see Lydia's effect on the church's and on Paul's mission as we move forward. Lydia's never going to preach a sermon. She's never going to hold an official office in the church. And yet she is hugely responsible for the establishment of the first church in Europe and for the spread of the gospel that's going to go throughout that entire continent uh, moving forward. And she becomes, in so many ways, a patron of the church. She helps provide material goods. She provides hospitality. And the church begins to meet there in her house. She likely had the, the largest church in the house. And so that became home base for them because they didn't have a building. And so um, it's, an, it's a remarkable impact that this new believer in Christ is going to make in their life. Now, Lydia likely created her wealth as a businesswoman. Uh, during that time, widows uh, really only inherited about 10% of the estate of their spouses. And so it wasn't likely that she inherited this wealth. It's likely that she built it. That She was an entrepreneurial woman, says that uh, she's known as a, a trader in purple dye. Purple was considered a luxury item. And so she comes from a city that was known for harvesting this purple dye. And so she came and moved to Philippi, where there was this key city. And she begins to build a business. And she likely had some staff and some influence in the city because I mean she ran with all the people that, that were in the upper echelons of society because they would come to her for this rich luxury uh, fabric uh, that they wanted. And so you notice in verse 13, it says that, uh, that Paul and these other guys went out to the river to find him. Well, normally when Paul would go to a city, he would go first to the Jewish synagogue and he'd go there and say, man, you worship the God of the Old Testament, but let me tell you, the Messiah the Old Testament prophesied about is, has come, his name is Jesus, and he began to preach the gospel of Jesus and tell them the further good news. He doesn't go to a synagogue here probably because there wasn't one. In Philippi. In order, according to Jewish custom, in order to start a new synagogue, you had to have 10 faithful men who would commit and covenant together to pledge financially to make sure that that synagogue lived and, and flourished. And so there probably were not 10 men in the city that were believers in God that could start a synagogue. And so oftentimes when that happened, they didn't have a place to meet, so they would go out. You notice it says they went out to where the ladies were praying. So they're out praying by the river. Sometimes they would go to a river because it was just a nice place. Um, Any of us like to just go hang out at the riverside? Absolutely. You look at some pictures, like, I want a day off. I want to go sit out there for a while. So they would sometimes go out there just because it's nice, but they would also go to the river because they would... uh, sometimes be engaged with ritual purifications. And so there's other reasons why they might go there. But it's fascinating here that here in Philippi, there are obviously very few men and not enough that they would have a synagogue. So they go out to the river. And you notice what Acts describes happens next. In verse 14, it says, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to the words of Paul. What were the words? It was the gospel. Paul's preaching the gospel that Jesus came to die for for the forgiveness of sins and he was resurrected to give victory over sin and over death. And so new life is available to all. And so spiritually what we see about Lydia is she was what the the Bible calls a God-fearer, meaning she believed in the God of the Old Testament, she believed in the God of the Jews and she understood uh, and really trusted and believed everything she knew to that point. She just had never heard anyone tell her about Jesus yet. And so she had followed the truth as far as she could. And Paul shows up and tells her the story story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It says that God opens her heart so that she could hear the words and she could believe. And then she goes and she's baptized. And um, friends, when she is baptized, she does that before she does anything else. And that's, that's the biblical pattern. Can I just ask you a question? Have you been baptized since you became a believer in Christ? Have you come to a place where you yourself understood the words and God opened your heart to, to believe the words that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God to rescue the world, that he lived a perfect life, that he, that he taught and performed miracles, and then he laid down his life upon a cross in order to be the sacrificial lamb and atone for our sins. And in being God, who was also man, he was sufficient enough to take away the sins of the entire world. And so all who look to him for forgiveness of sins will find their sins forgiven so that there is now no condemnation. But new life comes because he didn't stay in the grave, but he was resurrected on the third day, victorious over sin and death, promising new life to all who would look to him and forever life to all who all who would trust him. That's the gospel. Have you ever, has God opened your heart to hear those words, to let them sink in and bring new life to you? Because if it's true, and if that's true of you, then the next step is to be baptized. And we would love to get to baptize you. Uh, Come talk to us after service, fill it out on a connect card, sign up for the next baptism and we will, we will dunk you. We'll get you wet and we won't leave you under. We'll pull you up and then we're going to put you to work because what happened with Lydia? So she believed she was baptized and then she immediately goes to work, doesn't she? She doesn't wait and go, oh, I don't really have much to offer. She immediately, what's the first thing it says she does? Her whole household, meaning her relatives and all those who worked for her and all her employees, she immediately went and made sure they need to know the gospel too. Do they understand who this Jesus is? And so she begins to, to share the good news with them. And then she turns and says, hey, if you, if you believe that my faith is real, would you guys come to my house and you just stay here and make my house the home? Isn't it interesting that her faith changes when she understands the grace of Christ? That she no longer is going out to the the river to purify herself from sins. That's happened. So she goes, hey, y'all just want to come to my house and we can celebrate. It'd be more comfortable here. And so now, because she understands grace, she's not going out to the river. She's just inviting people into her house. I love what verse 15 says. It says, she prevailed upon us. Men, have you ever had a lady like that in your life? Like you ever had mama come and just like, she's got a, she knows what's going to happen and she's going to make sure you understand. Like these guys didn't stand a chance. So she invited them all to the house and then she prevailed upon us, Luke says. Um, And so it's a remarkable thing. In Macedonia, women were fairly independent and definitely enjoyed some rights. But here Lydia is immediately going to work for the furtherance of the mission. And um, she likely was Paul's very first convert in Europe, and this is the first church established in Europe. And Paul and his group of missionaries go to stay in her home, and they begin to operate out of her home, and her home becomes a house church through which the entire gospel spreads to Europe. Is that not an amazing thing to see the the beginning of this? Now, from Lydia's perspective, I don't think she realized what all was really happening. I think she was just meeting the next need that she saw in front of her. There was a need that was presented, and she goes, "Well, I guess someone y'all need a place to stay. Why don't you come stay with me? Well we need a place to meet. What this looks big enough. Why don't we all come in here?" And she's meeting the needs that arise um, within the mission, uh, within the mission, and and doing the things that need to be done around her. And yet, God uses that to change the course of history for for Paul. She becomes a patron of Paul's. Even when Paul's in prison, she gives financially and takes care of him. When the churches in Jerusalem are in need, uh, this church gives generously to them to take care of them. And she becomes a patron to help provide and build this church in this town called Philippi. Amazing stuff as far as how this church gets started. Um, I want to look quickly just show you what happens next in in Acts 16 as we jump in here. uh, The very next thing we see is that it says in verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So you get this little girl who's probably a middle school girl, a young girl who was possessed by a demon. And through that, uh, she was basically telling the future and, and, and committing these things that were able to, and her owners, the owners of the slave, were able to profit from this, this girl's actions and what she did. And so she's following around Paul. And as he's preaching, she's kind of um, interacting with him. And it finally, it's kind of funny, honestly. It finally says Paul goes, Paul gets annoyed and he looks at the demon and goes, get out of her. And so the demon immediately leaves her. Well, what happens in the offshoot of that is that these, uh, these people who own the slaves, these magistrates, these business leaders who would go to the marketplace and peddle this girl's wares, um, they get hacked. He's like, dude, now you're messing with my business. You're messing with my bottom line. You cast a demon out of this girl. Now she can't do the divination and all the things she was doing. And so now we can't profit off this little girl. And so they actually drag Paul and, and Silas before the magistrates and the Roman the Roman government, and they accuse them of. And, and there's a lot of anti-Semitism. There's some cultural things. They're saying, "Hey, these Jewish guys are coming in here, and they're stirring the pot, and they're making us believe stuff that Romans don't believe, and they're going to undermine you, and they're undermining our business." And so they, they actually take Paul and Silas and they throw them in prison. I mean, that day, if you weren't a Roman citizen. Uh, you actually didn't have a lot of rights. And so they could beat you in order to try to get a confession out of you. They could beat you to try to get more information out of you. And so what it says here is that they actually stripped them, they beat them, they threw them in prison and they locked their legs and their arms in, in locks. And so that's where Paul and Silas now are finding themselves. Um, what do you do when you have a bad day like that? Uh, most of us haven't had a day that bad, uh, but, but we've had bad days. What do you do when you have a bad day? Well, Paul and Silas, they rejoiced They started singing, singing praise songs. Like Chris Clark may do that. The rest of us are like, I don't know. But they start praising the Lord. They start praying together. They're they're singing songs. And uh, these preachers have a captive audience in prison. Wait for it. Yeah, okay. Uh, So there's nowhere these jailers can go. There's nowhere the other prisoners can go. Paul and Silas are just preaching and praying and singing. And everyone has to listen. And then what uh, what happens next is, uh, let's look at verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew the sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, "Do not harm yourself, for we're all here." And the jailer called for lights, and they rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought out, then he brought them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And they said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Remarkable scene, isn't it? This is the start of the church at Philippi. Do you notice parallels between this guy's story and Lydia's story? He, He heard the gospel he believed, he was baptized, he immediately starts serving. He cleans Paul and Silas' wounds, he invites them home, he feeds them, and he practices hospitality. That something happens that when his heart is engaged with the gospel and he believes it, he immediately wants to publicly acknowledge that Jesus is the one who saved me through baptism, and then he starts serving the people of Jesus as the, the very next thing he does. There's always this connection between faith in Jesus and the people of Jesus. That we're baptized, we're baptized into the mission of Jesus. And so, as you think about this uh, this section and what what's happening, uh, I think it's important for us to see what happens in this in this jailer's life. These are diverse people, but they have the same response to the gospel. Here, you've got this wealthy entrepreneurial businesswoman who's likely a, a single lady, and you've got this sort of middle class family man who's a Roman. Um, coming from a very different background. And yet the gospel engages their hearts and changes both of them. And immediately they're put to work. So Paul and Silas, it says, they went out of the prison. Uh, They're eventually freed. And they they went out of the prison and um, went and visited Lydia. And when they'd seen the brothers and encouraged them, they departed. And they went off to another place to go preach the gospel. Um, So there's this that's the birth of the church at Philippi. Paul and Silas show up, start a church, start a ruckus, and then kind of just drop mic and go to the next place. But you notice who's left, Lydia, the jailer, this little girl, and a group of other, uh, of other people that begin to form this church in the church of Philippi. And this was the launch of the first church in Europe. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? How many of you have been to Europe? If you've ever gone to Europe, I'm going to guess you went to see a church sometime in your journeys in Europe. I'm guessing that you stopped and went to check out in Notre Dame. I'm guessing that you stopped by St. Peter's. I'm guessing that you went to one of these other places because, because these, are, these are things that have grown up within, our, within Europe. And it started here. It's interesting, my son is studying over in Scotland and he's got a great little Scottish Presbyterian church over in St. Andrews that he attends. And that started, and and Scotland's about as far away from Greece and Europe as you can get. But what we see is that Lydia in this little church in Philippi became a gateway that started churches popping up all throughout Europe that spread throughout the world. Friends, God's plan is to work through people. When you're saved and when you're connected to his church through baptism, you immediately go to work. We've got stuff to do. We've got a mission to live. We've got a gospel to share. And what I want you to understand what's implied in these stories and explicit when we get into the book of Philippians and begin to work this is you are important to the mission of God. You are important to the church. You are the church. He didn't leave this in the hands of a few leaders that are put into place, but he left it in the hands of the people of this city to be light in this world. It's why Paul later in his letter to Philippians writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's talking about this church and these people. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day What was the first day? It was the day Lydia came to faith, right? I'm thankful, and I pray with great joy because of you, for because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Isn't that beautiful? So you, we're partakers of God's grace together, and we're partners in God's mission together. Those two things always go together, and that's what makes a church flourish. They didn't leave the mission of Jesus to a few strong leaders, Paul and his friends. Paul and friends left. He left it in the hands of the people of the church, and they thrived. Friends, have you ever thought of your home as a secret mission outpost in the kingdom of God? Lydia did. That's how she came to see it. Have you ever thought of your role in Edmond and Oklahoma City as an ambassador of Christ? Presenting the good news to the world and inviting them to come and trust King Jesus? Have you ever considered yourself a partner and a teammate in the church's mission to the world? It's easy, I think, for us to overlook our importance to the mission of God. But God always intended, if you read through the book of Acts and if you read through the letters that he wrote, for the church to flourish through the people of God. You may say, I'm just an ordinary person, but He's chosen you. And you may say, I don't have any extraordinary gifts to give, but God will use you. And you may say, I'm not that good of a person, and yet he calls you a saint in Christ Jesus. If God's opened your heart to the gospel message, then he's also drafted you into service and put you on his team. That's, that's always the pattern that you see throughout the scriptures. So what kind of people does God use to further his mission? Well, Lydia was a strong, single person of Greek background, and uh, the jailer is, uh, is, is a Roman middle-class uh, family man, very different backgrounds, very different, very diverse people, and yet the gospel engaged both of them and put them both to work, and they formed the foundation of this church. Friends, God's people are ordinary people doing ordinary things for an extraordinary purpose. The gospel is, is worth investment of our lives. And that's always how God planned for the church to operate. Do you know that's still how churches start today? Uh, we started in a living room full with very ordinary people. And, and we continue to call people into the gospel. We continue to connect them to Jesus. And then we continue to put them to work to, to live out the mission of God in our world. The church is not, never about a special few, but it's always about the saints that God's called to be a part of his church family. Let's go back quickly to Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. You Notice it says to all the saints. Paul's written his letter to everyone in the church. I know most of us don't don't feel like saints, but what, uh, what Paul is saying here is you're not a saint because you're great. You're a saint because Jesus was great. And because Jesus has done all the work for you, you get bestowed sainthood upon you to all the saints who make up the church in this town called Philippi. Friends, we are all saints. If we are saved by Christ, we're hidden in him. It's the great exchange. He exchange. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness and we become saints, be declared, we're declared saints because of Christ. Uh, y'all, wanna, y'all wanna start implementing that on Sundays? Just come around here and just like, well, St. Donna, St. Jason, St. Ken. like We're all saints. We're not going to call ourselves that because it just gets weird. Um, But that's the reality, biblically, is that Christ has called us all saints. He's written this to the church. What makes us saints is the gospel. That's why Paul later is going to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to the Greek, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because he first would go to the Jewish people in town and present the gospel, but it always would go to the Greeks. And that's what happened in Philippi, right? And so you see this movement that happens. And friends, here's where, where I want to end today. Uh, the gospel can make murderous men like Paul joyful, The gospel can make arrogant men humble. The gospel can make selfish men missionaries. The gospel can make wealthy women generous. The gospel can make a possessed girl free. And the gospel can make prisoners and prison keepers sing. The gospel changes everything. And that's what we're going to see as we study Philippians is Paul's love for the gospel and love for the church, because it's the place where the, where the gospel advances. Uh, Philippians 1.25 says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Um, that's what Paul says is why he's, why he exists and why he's connected to the church of Philippi. And so friends, as we, as we think about this, this next few months, would you just make that your prayer? Would you make that your prayer that, that, that ultimately this is what the church is about, that you might experience real progress and joy in the faith. And that's what I hope comes out of our study of Philippians and what we're calling one another to. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would never imagine a world without a church, but we'd imagine your church flourishing as you intended it, a place of grace and peace from God place where the gospel changes lives, a place where all the saints together serve as one in mission to our city. Father, I pray that you would make it so for your glory and for our good. Amen.